0: at the last few weeks at the book of Ephesians, as I've been speaking, and I believe it ties into what we've been doing here in this place uh, today, as we've been responding to God's word, as God's been revealing himself to us, and we've been listening and and taking on board what God's been doing. You see, the book of Ephesians that we've been looking through has a vast scope. It's some big picture stuff, some big things that um, we need to be dealing with, and I want to take us through today the last bit of this book, the, the very last bit, which is quite an interesting little section. It's quite familiar to many of you, but um, I want to go over it so that we can hear from God afresh today. And, and I'm just aware that, you know, when you've been reading through this book and we've, we've tackled some big issues already, we've, we've looked at uh, the fact that we're called by God in advance, that God chooses us. It's not primarily about us choosing him, but he chooses us. We've looked at how uh, the work of salvation and how we're made alive. We've looked at how we're made one, in Christ, where, whether we were, we were different before, different ethnic groups, different backgrounds, and how God's brought us together, we, we've looked at how we live as Christians, how we take what God has done in our lives and live it out, as we've been hearing so wonderfully demonstrated today. We've talked about sex, we've talked about relationships, we've talked about how we honour God in those, and now you might be expecting the uplifting finale, and it kind of is. But it sets it all within an interesting framework, and I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Hey, wow, look at that. Thank you, guys. And it says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word This section we've just read comes on the back of quite a practical section about relationships that we were looking at last time I spoke. And there's a bit of a bump, really, from that into this, a bit of a bump from day-to-day relationships and husbands and wives and parents and kids and slaves and masters like we were looking at last time, suddenly to come into this thing about fighting. And you might think, how did we get here? Anyway, how do we end up here in this, this passage about fighting? But I'll just unpack it. Now, just to give me a guide, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on this passage in your lives? That's many of you. Okay, that's what I thought. Thank you. That's really helpful. So, we're going to point out a few obvious things. And just because they're obvious, and just because you've heard a sermon before on this topic, doesn't mean they're not important today. Because, you know, I have a habit of forgetting stuff. And I have a habit of needing to be reminded of stuff. Uh, We were talking about uh, marriage last time I spoke, and Judith's here now, so she can testify to this. Last time she was out and I could say what I like. Um, but we've done the marriage course several times. We run a marriage course here and have done um, in the past. Judith and I have done it four times now at least. Done the material. Did it once to so go through it ourselves. Once to teach it. And then a couple of times supporting others who've done the same. We've discovered that every time it's the same lessons that get us. It's the same lessons and we sit and go, yeah that's the thing we need to be doing. That's the thing, and and, no matter how many times you've heard something, it's it's good to sometimes be reminded of it because we forget. So a few really obvious points, but I want you to take these to heart today. Number one, the fight is real. It really is. You see, coming on the back of a really practical section, and most of the time we want to be really practical and talk about day-to-day realities because we can influence so much of what goes on around us, but Paul is saying in this passage that there's something going on that you can't see with these natural eyes. There's a a battle going on that's real, that's actually taking place right now. And he's bringing for us a dose of reality. And I want to just proclaim and and suggest the the, the wonder of the middle ground. I was a Christian in the 80s, 1980s, yes, that long ago. And I was a Christian then. I remember that some churches and some groups were so wildly into spiritual warfare, as it was called, and, and identifying spiritual forces that you could almost see them everywhere. The curtains rustled, it was a demon. You know, it was, if, if someone had a bit of a headache, it was demonic. And all this stuff coming up, I, I kind of, there's a there was a move to, to investigate and really take seriously some of this stuff that Paul teaches. Equally, I'm aware of a, an equal and opposite swing in the other direction to naturalize everything and to make it all normalized and medicalized so that there's no such thing as evil in the world. All we need to understand is psychology and sociology, and then we we can rationalize every evil. Folks, there's a a balanced middle ground between those two poles, and that's where I want to be today. Where we're acknowledging that actually we're in a battle, and the battle is very serious, it's really important, and that we serve one who's already won. That's what we're going to be seeing today. We serve one who's won. You're glad about that, aren't you? You know, because you go into some battles and you're not sure how it's going to end up. But this one, we know the answer already. We serve one who's already won. We face a real enemy. Paul says in this passage, put on the armor of God, and he goes on, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. He's not talking about politicians. He's not talking about kings and princes of this world. People are elected or appointed to power or rule in a dynasty. He's not talking about those kind of folk. He's talking about spiritual forces that are behind all that. And he's saying we have a real enemy. An enemy that's characterized by wickedness and darkness and deceit. You know, often we talk about how as Christians, we, I think only last week I was talking about kindness. and Kindness, thankfulness, grace, goodness have incredible power. You must not ever minimize them and make them sound twee. Kindness, grace, goodness, compassion, they're wonderfully powerful bits of our armor as we serve God. But we're facing an enemy who doesn't play fair. And we've got to be on our guard. There's a story in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 9 of a group of folk who came to the nation of Israel and this is as Israel is taking over bits of land and these, these guys turn up and they've got, they're looking a bit shabby, their water bottles are dry, the food's stale, their clothes are worn out, they're dusty, they're, they're, it looks like they've travelled for miles and miles and miles and miles and they come and they speak to the Israelites and they say, will you treat us kindly? And they go into a covenant relationship, an agreement with the nation of Israel, that Israel will look after them. Forever. And it turns out that these guys, the Gibeonites, are only from just down the road. And what they've done is dress up in shabby clothes and put stale food in the bags and go and appear and say, please, will you look after us and treat us kindly, don't conquer our lands. But actually, they're from much closer than the Israelites thought. And they never asked God. So they just carried on and went, oh, yeah, that sounds logical, sounds sensible. But we face an enemy who, like that, creeps up on us and tries to take us out. You know, I've learned over my years as a Christian that things that are evil don't always look bad. Is that fair? Most of us can resist temptation if it's really obvious. If you're walking with the Lord and there's something blatantly obvious, it's not really temptation. Because you know, well, that's a silly thing, I won't do that. That's far against God, I'm not going to do that. So the, the, the devil doesn't come and try and tempt us. Most of the time it's me tempting myself, by the way, not the devil. He's far too busy doing other stuff, but just to throw that in there. Uh, But most of the time it's me. It's my own sin. It's my own desire pulling me away from God. But if I'm tempted, most of the time it's not by stuff that looks really, really bad. It's by stuff that I can justify. I can excuse. I can give myself permission to do, and it's still not good for me. Sometimes evil looks appropriate. It's justifiable at the time. It feels right at the time, but it's still just as evil. I went out for a walk last night to pray and get my heart ready for preaching this morning. And as I was walking around, I like to do that reasonably late. It was about 10, half 10, something like that last night. Everyone else has gone to bed pretty much or they're indoors. It's cold. I was just praying and I, just realizing that as I was praying that we've, we live in a really beautiful place. It's a lovely place with some wonderful people. And I was thinking as I was praying about um, Judith's work as a nurse, and she has the wonderful privilege of seeing hundreds and hundreds of people through the year and stabbing lots of them. Injecting, injecting is the word, sorry, injecting. And uh, she gets people coming to go on holiday, and she stabs them, and she gets babies coming, and she, no, stab's the wrong word, isn't it? Inject, that's the word. Uh, Injecting. And what we inject is a a bit of virus, is that right? Anyway, something, something bad that goes in you. But it's, it's not as bad as it would be if you got the real thing. You get a little tiny dose of something. I'm trying to avoid looking at the doctors in the room at the moment because you can see my, my biology is being exposed right now. But you get a tiny bit of something that, if you had the whole thing, wouldn't do you any good. But this little inoculation actually does you the world of good because your body learns to fight against this invasive enemy enemy particles that shouldn't be there and we put them there to give us strength and those inoculations protect us but I just think actually as I was praying around that in our nice society in our society where so many people go into church occasionally so many people go to church schools so many people are engaged and they're kind of vaguely aware that kind of we Christians believe in God and they're vaguely aware that Christmas is about shopping and eating and oh and there's something Christian about it too that it's a little bit like we've Our society has had an inoculation of the gospel. It's a little bit like there's been just enough to mean that you never have to look at it again. You never have to worry about it ever again because we kind of know what that's like and it's in our system somewhere, which is why when you do a survey of people in the country, 60, 70% will say, yeah, I'm Christian. But yet when we talk about the kind of lifestyle James is talking about earlier about stepping on the white or the black squares, we're kind of spending more time on the black than the white. We're kind of honoring ourselves more than we're honoring God. We're kind of following ourselves and our own desires more than him. And as a society, it's far from what Christ presents as a way of living. So the battle's really real. And the battleground is set. Apologies that the words are going to be a little over the place today. The battleground is set. You know, there is a lot at stake. Ephesians 1 starts... Verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined. You get in this? This is big stuff. Big picture. And Paul through this book of Ephesians has painted a great big picture. A great big panorama of how amazing God is and how wonderful he is and his calling is is so majestic, and he's, he's painted this picture of how God plucks us from where we are and invites us to come and be part of this picture. Where we weren't once belonging to it, it, it was a story of his work through the Jewish people and, uh, and their work through the Old Testament, and, and they were meant to be a light to the Gentiles and so on, but he's picked us as well, and he, he's put us on this great panorama of, of history that's taking place. And Ephesians unfolds the work of God from calling to saving to redeeming to setting us as part of his story, and it puts it all out for us. And then right at the end, it says all this is at stake. All this is at stake, and you need to fight for it. You need to fight for what God is doing. This battle is a matter of life and death. I believe in heaven, and I believe in hell. I believe that people can choose to spend eternity without God and that many are sleepwalking towards that. The battle is relentless. It gets better, don't worry. The battle is relentless. There's no day off in this spiritual battle. There's no Sabbath. There's no rest time. The battle is ongoing. This battle that we're called to fight, is just ongoing all the time. Leon Morris, in commentating on this passage, says that it issues a call for us to wake up. And he then goes on to note that we don't ever drift into righteousness. We don't ever drift into sin. So it's a call to wake up. So wake up as a battle being fought. But I just want to tell you, before we go any further, that the war is won. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, says this, that he... Uh, That God has incredibly great power for us who believe this power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked. So I just want to recap very quickly. We're talking about the spiritual powers, spiritual authorities above which Christ sits. His name is higher than all of theirs, his name is greater than all of theirs, his power is greater than all of theirs. He's lifted far above them and has more authority and more rule than they do. Okay, so the very simple premise is we're fighting people who are under Christ. Our battle is not with superior beings. It's not with spiritual forces that are greater than Jesus. He's already exalted. So we don't need to be afraid. We're fighting, we're struggling against subjected powers that one day will finally be subjected. Thirdly, we need to pick our battles. A battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against flesh and blood. Now, there's a scripture that I read earlier which says this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. I've learned this in my life following Jesus that the most, the most important battle I have to face is not the one that's right in front of me necessarily. Actually, what I think facing as a fight is, is, and it looks like it's with a person or it looks like it's with some situation I'm facing, actually there's something behind that quite often that's the real battle. You ever found that? That there's something deeper, more real than the argument you're having or the fallout you've just had or the disappointment you've got in the relationship that's going on. There's actually something bigger at stake and we need to be aware of that. Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood." really isn't. Too often we fight each other because we see each other as the opposition. We see the different ideas as opposing us and we fight against them. We see all sorts of things as standing against us. We, in military conflict, there's this, this phrase that's used about blue on blue. And It's the that horrible time when uh, your own forces have attacked another force and they were on your side. And through miscommunication or poor judgment or map coordinates being wrong or whatever it might be, just through some bad planning or a terrible accident, there's an attack on your own side. And, and I think there are so many times where we end up in a blue-on-blue conflict because we're fighting what we think is the enemy and actually it's not the enemy at all. There's a battle behind that. You know, we shouldn't be surprised when we're setting out to follow God and setting out to do all the things that Paul has said here about getting our relationships right and living for God and living in the freedom that he calls us to live in and and then we come under attack. That's the reason he's put this stuff afterwards. It's the real reason that he's here to say, guys, it's not going to be easy. All this relationship stuff, all this following Jesus stuff, all this being a child of God, there's another thing going on too and you just need to be aware of it. And it's like Paul's flagging us. He's kind of waving his arms and saying, pay attention. If by any chance you're worried about the size of the guys in this picture, uh, this is from a mixed martial arts fight, not a boxing match, um, so you can, you can do things other than just punch each other, uh, the little guy wins. The biggest guy is the biggest uh, sporting, uh, what's the word I want, contestant, competitor ever recorded, is in the Guinness Book of Records. He was a sumo wrestler, then went to mixed martial arts and, and his technique was to sort of land on people. And and he lands on people and they don't get up again. And he tries it with this little guy, but the little guy manages to get up and punches him in the head and, and he submits the other guy submits. So the little guy wins. And, and I just wanna i just put that silly picture up there really just to show that actually if you feel like you're in a battle right now and it looks like the forces that are arrayed against you are too great, you might be the little guy, but you're gonna win. You are, because you're in Christ. Uh, And there's no victory that can can take you, there's no battle that can take you out if you keep in him and keep focused on him. So we're going to look about picking, putting on your armor. And Paul says that the whole armor of God is needed. Put on the whole armor of God. He says, put it on. He doesn't ever say, take it off. I've heard people speak about this and they talk about a pattern of putting it on in the kind of mentally running through stuff in the morning as they pray and they say thank you God for my salvation. That's a great pattern to do, a great thing to do. But I don't think you ever take your armor off spiritually. I think it's always on. There's never a time when you kind of relax and just put it down and go, oh, that's it, I can do what I like now, I'm out of the battle now. It's actually all around us all the time. In fact, the times when I'm asleep is probably when I need it as much as when I'm awake. You know, because your thoughts play havoc with you sometimes, don't they? Uh, Paul lists six items. And I, I struggle to get a picture of a Roman soldier with the right items. This one's missing the big shield. It might be hidden behind him. That's what I'm hoping. But most of the pictures I found had the great big lance spear thing that Roman soldiers often had. Paul doesn't list that. He's got this short sort of thrusting sword. Um, that's the only weapon of attack that he's given. Uh, the rest of it is, is really for defense. And I want to run through these fairly quickly because I think most of you have heard about this before, but he starts with the belt. He says, put on the belt of truth. Now, many of us wear belts. Mine's holding my trousers up right now, so I'm not going to undo it and wave it at you. Uh, otherwise, it would be embarrassing for all of us. Um, but the belt is normally externally worn for us, and here Paul's sort of saying, put on your belt first. Well, that's not going to be much good. It's going to chafe, and won't be, be much good at all when hold my trousers up. But it's a different kind of belt. It's something that holds... a holds, you kind of put things into later on. You you can put your clothes into, you can tuck things into. Something goes actually on the inside. It's more an item of underwear that Paul's referring to. And here he talks about the truth, the truth of the gospel. The belt of truth buckled around your waist. What's the alternative to believing things that are true? It's that we believe things that aren't true. The alternative, I guess, is that we put on the belt of our own self-belief where we've told ourselves our own story, where we believe our own fiction, whatever that might be, whether it's lies about God or lies about ourselves. And And I was just struck that maybe he's taking us back over the previous chapters in Ephesians. You see, Ephesians 1 is all about who God is and how God chose us. Maybe that's the belt of truth that we put on, the reality about who God is and who we are. Maybe that's the first thing that needs to go on before we do anything else. Secondly, he... It talks about putting a breastplate of righteousness on. Now, I've heard it said again that the breastplate covers the front and we're meant to be fighting together, so everybody else has got your back. Actually, unfortunately, the Roman breastplate covers the back as well. So it's a bit of both. So it actually covers front and back and goes round and there's plenty of pictures of Roman soldiers with some protection around the back. And similarly, our this is a righteousness Paul's talking about. He says the breastplate of righteousness covered over this... this kind of area of your vital organs, with righteousness. And it's not our righteousness. I believe it's God's righteousness. As God, who is the righteous one, has made us righteous, we now take on the gift of his righteousness. It's ours, just as much as it's his, but it started with him. And it's become ours. So we can now be confident because our sin doesn't define us. He deals with it, as we've been hearing about today. He wants to deal with it. He wants us to stand in his Righteousness, not actively sinning, but choosing to live for Him. What's the alternative? The alternative is something I want to protect myself with and make myself feel invincible. Well, it's going to be my pride, isn't it? It's normally my pride. My pride and my own sense of invincibility, I'll put them on instead and I'll go out feeling strong as if I've covered everything up and I'll put a brave face on, but actually it's a fake. Because you and I both know that we haven't got much to be proud about outside of God. In Him, we've got everything to delight in and rejoice in, because we're His kids, and He loves us. I think it's why we react so painfully when our pride is hurt, because sometimes we've been wrong. We're in the wrong breastplate. I do. I think sometimes instead of putting God's righteousness on and His justification, we put on our own pride and our own self-defense. And when we feel like someone damages that. That's why we react so badly because it's the only armor we've got. Folks, pride is a rubbish form of armor. Thirdly, he says to put on and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, now this is an unusual one. I, I think it can have two meanings here. I've read around this and I, I'm going to put two of the readings I've read and put them together because I think both have some validity. I think there's two things. Firstly, I think it's very Practical and very simple to, to explain like this, that actually one of the best ways of staying uh, in touch with God and living for Him and, and putting on the armor of God is actually to go and speak the name of Jesus. To go and share the gospel with people. To go and speak about our faith and live it out. I really do. I think the best form of defense is sometimes to actually be on the front foot and to be proclaiming Jesus. Albert's with me, aren't you, Albert? I can hear you saying, Amen, Amen. It's often the best way. And I think too often we've taken off the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace and we've got our slippers on. And we feel cozy and we're enjoying the fact that we're loved by God. But you know what it's like when you're indoors and you've got your slippers on and it's, it's, it's nighttime and you've, you've got your cocoa or whatever and, you've, and, and there's a job that needs doing. The bins need putting out or something like that. And you look around for who's got shoes on. Because, you know, I'm I'm all wrapped up and snuggly and, you know, you can go. You've got shoes on. Or someone just comes in. It happens in our house. Someone just comes in and they've got shoes on. Oh, you're the one. You can go do the job. I think me, us, I think sometimes we get a bit snuggly. And we're enjoying being loved by God. And being loved by God is amazing. It really is. But we're cool to have shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Why? Because my faith is never more alive when I'm scared silly because I feel incompetent to proclaim the name of Jesus, but I'm doing it anyway. And I'm out of my comfort zone, and I'm vulnerable, but it's then that you see God turning up. It's then that you see more healing miracles than you do inside churches and inside Christian homes. It's then where the name of Jesus is proclaimed that we see God at work. It happens in the Bible. The second thing I think about those, those shoes is, is, is the word peace. I think the peace that comes from God is incredibly powerful. It's not just comforting, but it gives us a great security. Next, the shield of faith. It's, it's, the Roman shields were sometimes coated with leather. You might think, well, oh, that's not much good, but the leather could be soaked in water, and then when you got these kind of flaming arrows coming, they would extinguish the arrows, or the arrows wouldn't have effect on the shield. And it's a great big sort of four-foot by two-foot shield. It covers most of the body. These are the ones that you see, and school where they're linked together and the Roman soldiers is kind of tortoise shape and they can advance or they can stay or they can do whatever they're almost invincible when they're together in lines the shield of faith faith which we're anchored in faith which is a confident trusting god that declares that no matter what's coming against me god is bigger He's greater. The, the flaming arrows of accusation, the flaming arrows of doubt that come against us. Actually, we lift up the shield of faith. And we say, no, my God is greater. What's the alternative to a shield of faith? Well, I think sometimes I've used a shield of rubber or elastic. I think one that where there's accusations that have come and I've bounced them straight back at other people. Get at you. And rather than extinguishing the darts and accusations that have come, I've thrown one back at somebody else because I'm quite good with words and you can do that. But actually, that's not godly. And that's not good. And maybe I haven't always said it. Maybe I've just thought it sometimes. Maybe it's just been in my head and I've just kind of, "Mm, I'll get you. But actually, that's not a shield of faith. As the accusations come, some of us do it through when people have hurt us, we'll shun them. We won't say anything back to them. We just won't talk to them again. That'll show them. It doesn't show anybody. We just project our own insecurities onto others. Why? Because we're fighting the wrong battle. We're fighting against what people are saying and we end up fighting against the people and we end up with these barriers between us. The helmet of salvation. Salvation is our only defense ultimately of what's in in, in here. The helmet of salvation. We have a future hope and a past story to tell of God's glory. And God's work in our lives. And we want to put that on. So God, thank you that you've, you protect my thinking. You protect my noggin. You know, there's some of us, there's not a lot in here, but we've got to do the best with what we've got. You know what it's like in the morning? You kind of, come on, wake up. Get those brain cells going. Well, God, you know, sometimes my thinking isn't very helpful and I need to put on God's thinking in my life. God's thinking and apply his word to my thinking that it might be transformed. What's the alternative to putting on God's thinking? about my own salvation. It's my own success. End up putting a helmet on, like a crown, like this, this Roman chap on the picture. Lovely plumage on top of his helmet. Very, very nice. Personally, I'd, I'd like to be next to him without a bit of plumage on, so when someone's looking, they see him, not me. I could duck down then, and he's the one you want to hit. But it kind of speaks of success, doesn't it? You've made it. And I think sometimes we have the helmet of our own success on. And the breastplate of our own pride and the shield where we're bouncing everything back and we're, we're strong in ourselves but actually that's a very weak armor to have i don't want to have my success as anything i'm depending on or other people's view of me forming what i think about myself but only what god says and finally we're given that little stubby sword not a great long one Not a great lance where you can prod the enemy from a distance. No, you've got to get in close. It's the sword of the Spirit, the sword of God's Word. And and of course, who else do we look to but Jesus, who when tempted says, it is written. And he takes the enemy back to the Word of God. Folks, I don't want to be quoting my own opinion. When it comes to a spiritual battle, I want to quote, it is written. So that means we've got to know this. And just to wrap up, Paul says... Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of requests. To pray on all occasions in the Spirit quickly. To pray in the Spirit. We heard a message in tongues today. Brian shared from the spiritual gift and and just spoke as God enabled him. Funny language. I didn't understand it. You didn't understand it. Though I've heard of stories where people have understood it and it's been their own language that's been spoken. Very exciting uh, to be able to say, oh, yeah, I actually understood every word. And then the interpretation is given. Well, we believe that God, when he fills us with the Spirit, enables us to speak in other tongues, to pray, to pray with our spirits and to call out to God with words that we can't always think of in our heads. Well, it partly means that, but it also means, to, in this passage, to pray in the Spirit, but it also means to pray in line with the Spirit. So as God's Spirit is calling us to pray, so we just come on the back of what God's saying. and We pray as he would want us to pray. Pray on all occasions. I struggle to do that. But I'm learning that prayer is less of a task that I fulfill, and it's got to become more about just breathing. That kind of breathing every day, just constantly praying, constantly soaking in prayer. Yes, there are times when I, I dedicate time to prayer, but I went out to walk for a walk because I had no distractions around me, and I could pray and talk to God last night. And so, I need some of those times, and I need times when I'm just in the day breathing out and talking to God. All of this is in the context of standing. Put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Our calling is to stand. You know, we don't need to fear any of those forces that are arrayed against us. We don't. I don't have a lot of experience in dealing with t- coming up against demon possession and those sort of things, but on the times when I have, I've seen and can testify to the fact that the name of Jesus is higher and greater than any evil spirit. There is no need for fear. We can have confidence in Christ because he is greater. And he delivers people and sets them free. He's powerful to say. There's so many more stories I've got and could say, but I won't because time. I want to just save some time for some stuff that Giles needs to say today. Our calling is to stand. To stand just like David stood against Goliath when nobody else would stand against Goliath. Just like Deborah stood when she was called upon to in the book of Judges and, and Israel had peace for 40 years after that. We're called to stand. One thing I haven't said up until now and I'll close with this. All of these, the senses of this whole passage um, is plural. And we often look at this as individuals, something that I do for me, for myself. I put on my armor and I stand and fight my battle. But everything Paul's saying is actually plural. It's together. We stand together. We put on the armor together. We're battling together. We're in a spiritual fight together. Why? Because we can't do it on our own. Why? Because actually he's just been talking about relationships and the relationships that go horribly wrong and pear-shaped and then before that he was talking about sin Uh, and so we need to battle together for the relationships God's given us. They're worth fighting for. We need to battle together against sin because I need you to speak into my life and you need me to speak into yours and together we can grow and strengthen as we share stories about what God's doing. Before that he's spoken about salvation and how great God is and We need to celebrate together the salvation we have. Before that, we were talking about worship and how great God is and the great plan He has for the world. And again, we need to celebrate that together. It's together, 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 and together we stand on His Word. If ever you feel distanced from people, or you feel people don't get you, or you feel that there's disunity, You feel that actually there are some struggles you're going through and it's somebody else's fault and your tendency is to put your own armor on. I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Make sure you're fighting the right battle because too often we're not. Too often we're coming up against other people and we're fighting against them and that's not the battle we should be fighting. There are times for staying quiet and standing still and letting God deliver you. There are other times when you need to speak, but we need to make sure that we're speaking in love and speaking words that maybe challenge, but we're not defending ourselves. We're speaking to stand together against a common enemy. Too many times I've seen people disunited and fighting and factions forming when it should never, ever happen. I wonder if we can pray that God would help us in the battle we're in. Lord God, I thank you that you've won the victory, that we're yours, that we're your children, that you delight in us. Lord, we say thank you. And I want to pray particularly for anyone here who feels right now that they're in the middle of a spiritual battle. Feel right now they're in the middle of a fight and things keep going wrong around them. They're they just struggling. And Lord, I pray that they would see today, each of those people would see today your strength and your power and your goodness for them. Lord, for those who maybe don't even yet know that they are your children, I pray, Lord, that you would help them today to see clearly that the sleepwalking would stop, that there would be conviction and encouragement today of their situation in you. Lord, that you'd bring revelation of your love but also of the need to come to you and accept that love in Christ. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that we would keep the main thing the main thing. We would keep our eyes on you. That we wouldn't fall into protecting ourselves with pride, protecting ourselves with our own thinking, protecting ourselves against each other, but Lord, instead, that together we might stand on your word and in faith in this real battle and stand to serve you stand stronger side by side than we would be on our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Over to you, sir. Do you need a minute?